Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of 1 Peter by looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed and let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As we've read through the first three chapters of Peter's letter, we've learned a good bit from Peter. He's discussed with us new birth, being born again, into a living hope and into a family that provides for us an inheritance. He's taught us about sober thinking and standing firm, having a clear mind to make good decisions, having the proper perspective, and then doing the things in those situations that God would have us to do, regardless of what our initial instincts might be or what the society around us may call us to do. 
He's talked to us about our motivation, how we fit into God's work, and this idea of living as aliens and strangers in the world. But now that we have all of that information, what will that look like in our lives? How can we expect our lives to be different? How does that show up or manifest itself in our lives? As Peter starts to explain this to his readers, one of the first things that he mentions to them is how Gentiles will be surprised by the way they act. He had just explained in chapter 3 that as Christians, we should not frustrate other people. When we explain why we have hope, we should do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter is letting his readers know, and by extension us, that the life of a Christian should surprise people, but not frustrate them. And he describes how we accomplish this, that we be reasoned and not emotional. In verse 1 of the passage we just read, Peter told his readers to arm themselves with the same way of thinking that Jesus had. Be able to think through your circumstances like Jesus and not be emotional. Peter also says that their lives should be disciplined and led by the Spirit, not driven by any other force. He tells them in verse 2 not to pursue their human passions, but to be led by the will of God. And he tells them in verse 14 they should realize that they're blessed even in their suffering. The blessing is not in the suffering. It's not because you experience pain that you're blessed. It's the reason for your suffering that determines the effect. So when we live these reasoned and disciplined lives, and we understand that even in our suffering, we are a blessed people, that surprises people who've not chosen to live by that same standard. It even surprises some people who call themselves Christian because they're not actually following in the steps of Jesus. They're allowing the world to manipulate them to coerce them into responding to things the way they would. And Peter is making the point here that that's not helpful. That doesn't help us to make the most of the time that we have left here, and it does not prepare us for eternity with God. So what Peter's describing here may be for some of us a brand new perspective. It's the perspective that we're told we gain when we surrender our lives to Christ and start to see things the way he sees them. So what are some of the things that we see as we've given in to this new birth and have allowed God to transform our thinking and our way of life? What is it that we now see that maybe the rest of the world doesn't see that is looking at the world from a different perspective? Well, the first thing that Peter mentions is that we can see that suffering actually eliminates sin. Remember again what he said in verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. As we read that sentence from Peter's letter, we may be taken aback. If we suffer, we stop sinning. What Peter is describing here is this ability to constrain or refrain from sinning that can be a result of going through suffering. If we go through our suffering with God, one effect that it can have on our lives is to purge us of bad habits and bad decision-making and and make us more in tune with God's will. But a few things to remember along those lines. One is the hardships don't go away. 
Um, by calling on the name of the Lord, by putting our trust in him, there's no promise from God that the hardship stops. Only the way we view them changes. He gives us the power to overcome them. We know that we can overcome because we have that power of God. We see them as opportunities for God to shape us, mold us, help us grow. And so as we suffer, we're allowing God to bring all things together for good because we love him. Also, Peter has made the point that we cannot eliminate suffering. We cannot live a life where we never suffer at all, but we can choose for what things we suffer. We can decide why we suffer. We can choose whether the suffering we experience is for doing the good and right things that God wants us to, or by trying to take shortcuts and being selfish. We'll suffer in a different way, but we have that choice. We're told here in other places in Scripture that we cannot escape hardships, but we can deal with them. So when the promise is made that suffering can help us grow and eliminate sin, we need to allow this new perspective, this Christ-like perspective, to be the way that we see those things so that we get the benefit that can come from suffering. None of us like it. It doesn't feel good. But if we view it the way Jesus does, we grow from it. So we see that suffering can eliminate sin. We also see that love covers a multitude of sin. I think for some people, when we hear that sentence, we think of maybe a scale with our sin on one side and our capacity to love on the other. And if we just love people enough, God will overlook the sin in our lives. That's not what Peter's getting at at all. What Peter is saying is that as we learn to love, more and more of our sin is covered or eliminated. In the same way that suffering can eliminate sin, love can eliminate sin. Right after that, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. His point is that kindness is not intended to be a chore. If you're having difficulty loving people and showing kindness to them, if you're complaining about that, you haven't learned to love fully. And love covers a multitude of sins. The way this works is that the more I grow in my love for mankind, the less likely I am to do things that hurt mankind. If I love you, I wouldn't steal from you. No one even has to tell me not to steal because I care about you and I would never take anything that's yours. If I'm willing to steal from someone, it shows that I don't care much about them as a person. I don't think they deserve to have that thing, that I deserve it more. And so stealing shows a lack of love. The more I love people, the less likely I am to steal from folks. And it goes for any other of the commands God's given us about how we interact with people. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's wife if I love my neighbor. I want them to have a healthy and happy relationship, and I wouldn't do anything that would jeopardize that. I'm not going to lie to someone I love because I don't want to hurt them by not telling them the truth. I'm not concerned about protecting myself. I'm concerned about protecting them, and I know I want to share the truth with them. The more I love people, the more willing I'm going to be to do the right thing. And sin is eliminated from my life. And it is not intended to be a chore. 
It's intended to be the natural outflow that comes from genuinely loving other people. If we find it difficult to love other people, the problem's not with God. It's not even with the other person. The problem is with us. We've not learned to love the way that God has called us to, and therefore we're still seeing sin in our lives because we're not reacting to others in a loving, caring way. This is the perspective of Jesus. Through his suffering, he could see sin eliminated. Through his love for others, he could see sin eliminated. And he calls his disciples to live that kind of life. Peter also says that God should be glorified in everything that we do and say. He said each of us has received a gift, and that gift is a responsibility. In whatever way God has gifted you, whatever talents you have, God has given you those things for the benefit of his people and his purposes. The gifts that God gives us are never intended to be used for our selfish indulgence. They're responsibilities that we have to share with others. The trials that we experience are opportunities to use these gifts that God's given us. And so if we speak, we should be speaking God's words. And if we have an opportunity to serve, we should be exercising the power of God. What Peter wants to let us know is that seeing things the way Jesus sees them is important. It's not always our first instinct. It's not always the way we see it because we've been conditioned by the world to see things differently. But Peter makes sure that we know that seeing things the way Jesus does is a matter of faith. If we are saved by faith, if faith is what we are called to, if faith in Jesus is what rescues us, then this is a matter of faith. Answering the call of Jesus to see things the way he sees them to take advantage of the opportunities in godly ways rather than being fearful or anxious about those things is a matter of faith. Do we trust God with the results when we are doing the right thing? The last verse in this chapter said, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.